Hey everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio. Uh, you know the, uh, the, the band Cream, right? I mean, come on, legendary. Uh, there is a new album that is out now through Quarter Valley Records, Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. And you know, we hear a lot of tributes, but this one is epic. It's out November 3rd on digital CD and vinyl. We love the vinyl. I encourage you to go to PartoValleyRecords.com, but today we're excited to welcome composer, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Malcolm Bruce, yes, Jack's son, on the show, who's really a co-executive producer of the album. He's an arranger and performer on Heavenly Cream, and you can go to his website, MalcolmBruceMusic.com, and all these links I talk about will be in the show notes. So welcome, Malcolm. How are you? I'm very well, Lisa. Thank you so much for having having me on the show. It's great to be you here. You know, this is such a, you know, when I first heard, oh, an acoustic album of Cream, and then I started reading who's about it, you know, and then I was like, oh, just put it away and listen. Holy cow, like, you did it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, it's you been... You know what I mean? It's yeah. been a long time coming, as you can probably imagine. It's We started this process at the end of 2017 and recorded in 2018, and uh, there's a, a whole feature-length documentary that uh, is a kind of making of documentary, including interviews and fly-on-the-wall footage and all kinds of things. So so it was a big process to get from the inception and the, the idea, which was Pete Brown, Cream Lyricist. It was mm-hmm. his idea. He sadly passed away earlier this oh. year. But, but he um, he came up with the idea and then sort of came up, came to me and Rob Cass, the producer, and Mark Waters, who directed the documentary and so just from that point getting all the artists uh to to agree to do it and then uh schedules schedules or schedules i don't know depending on which you, side you, of the pond. We're, we're universal so we don't okay care. share the schedules and um <laughs> yeah. and then you know by the time we sort of completed it all we hit the pandemic era yeah and, um, so everything kind of slowed down at that point so you know it's been like five years and we've lost um, Ginger, yeah. Ginger, uh, Bernie Marsden just passed away. Yeah. From, and he, he was heavily involved in this project. So, and Pee Wee Ellis, um, the sax player from James Brown's band. So, uh, quite yeah, a few guys uh, are not around. Um, so it's sort of become poignant from that point of view. It's like a lovely historical document, uh, you know, with these people that we loved and knew, um, who are not around anymore, but we can sort of uh, have this to remember them by, well, and including their incredible careers. And it keeps it going. It keeps that torch burning. And I think that's also very important of these, you know, just legendary bands. And Cream wasn't around that long even, but they made such a mark. Two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, 1966 to 1968. Yeah. But the musicians were, you know, obviously. I wasn't alive. I was, I was, I was a baby too. No, I wasn't a baby. No, I wasn't alive yet either. But you know, when I say about like cream that sticks, like, you know, when you leave cream Cream that sticks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cream, right? You always have that rim on the side, like in the cream, you know, you've used the cream, you go to wash it and there's that angry little thing that sits there going, (laughs) I'm not going away. And I feel like that was like their thought of when they formed the band saying cream, we're not going away and we're at the top. And that's that no matter what. My dad always, my dad always kind of, uh, corrected people. It, it, with the band wasn't called Cream. It was called The Cream originally. Oh. So yes, I think it was a slightly, you know, tongue in cheek, but at the same time, they were seen as the, the top musicians of the time mm-hmm. in London. 
uh, they'd all been around the block as it were and played in the various bands and um so yes they were the cream of the crop but but yeah to put an album up like that's why i was on a tribute album okay like hold your breath you know because it's like when people try to redo janice joplin i'm like stop it you know what i mean <laughs> it's really hard you know what i mean it's yeah, hard well, was, and then there's a few people was. that can do it i'll say joss stone is one but um when you get to this album you've got like incredible Incredible talent, obviously you on it, but like Deborah Bonham, she was on our show a little. I think actually it was during the pandemic. Um, okay. Even she was on the show. Yeah, Deborah is incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, John Bonham's sister, Jason. Jason's out there doing a whole bunch too. And uh, Bobby Rush, holy cow, Bobby Rush on Spoonful. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Well, we Seriously. had to. We had That's to get amazing. him on. Ask him to do like those that he does that and sitting on top of the world. I think. Um, you know, those are kind of classic songs that he, you know, he would have been around those guys. I mean, I, you know, Bobby, what a history he's had in the business. So, oh my so, gosh, he's like, what he's a life. Epic. And, he's, and he's still doing it. It's incredible. And when he's he a badass, listen yeah. to him though. He's like such a badass. And when he comes on the album, he's like, I'm going to wake you all up. You know, here it is. And Deborah's voice is like perfect for this. I, I just, I love the album, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> didn't, we didn't want to, um, compete with the original recording mm. the original stuff was done in a certain way and it's kind of iconic and so unique uh so you know the an acoustic approach acoustic version made sense yeah it I made mean, sense still, still funky it's not acoustic i don't want people to get the wrong impression it's not acoustic like okay here's an acoustic guitar and a bomb you're not in a coffee house no i mean there's i love folk music i love all kind of, i love singer songwriter you know mm-hmm. guitar and a voice and all of those things but this is more just the premise that all the instruments are acoustic but we still got a drum kit and um and, and uh, it's a tribute it, it really is i think that's what it is about it being acoustic and the way it's been recorded and produced and just the right vocal it, everything is just perfect about it that it has that soul of honor and tribute but then they have pete on there and then ginger baker i mean ginger just recently passed what I had, cause he, he, he is like a wild card, man. And, and, um, I know he lived in Africa, which, which is where I was raised. It was in Kenya and South Africa. So oh, amazing. You know, knowing that he lived out there and everything, I'm always like, yeah, he belongs there, man. He would get the, just that there's this extra freedom of life there. And just as a drummer, you can hear when, I mean, you, you, it's unmistakable when Ginger's playing, but what was it like working with him? Cause he's a wild card, man. Yeah, I mean, Ginger, Ginger, Ginger was a complicated person. Obviously, I knew him a little bit over the years. Um, and I'd spent, I've spent some time with him when he was just a very down to earth, normal person. Uh, when he, he married, um, a long, long time ago. I mean, I know Kudzi, his wife, who is African and she's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but they spent their time together, the kind of latter years of his life. But years and years ago, when I was a kid, he'd married an American woman called Karen and I remember meeting him in San Diego I was a teenager he came to visit me and his son Kofi because I was working with Kofi that was the first time I was working with him and we were doing some demos in San Diego and Ginger came around for the afternoon and he was just really nice like a down-to-earth kind talkative person you know not like not like the character that he's become known for this kind of gruff uh notoriously sort of rude person he had that side to him as well but i don't think that's who he really was i think that was a sort of um 
front or a kind of defense mechanism um, that he would put up. Uh, but, you know, his whole connection with Africa is fascinating. I mean, he he was one of the early people. I I don't like this term world music, but he was one of the people that really was at that the beginning of collaborating with people from other cultures, you know, yeah, I mean, the, you ethnic about, sounds. Yeah, yeah, you can talk about like George Harrison and Ravi Shankar or whatever. Um, Mick but, Fleetwood. Yeah, Mick Fleetwood. But, you know, uh, but Ginger was with Fela Kuti and, and he, yeah, that's built, huge. he built uh, the first multi-trap recording studio in, so I think it's in Nigeria, where, where Paul McCartney recorded at one point. Um, so he was right in there and he just, as you say, you know, he, I love the African people I've got for, I mean, Abbas Dodu, who's on this record is an amazing guy. And he was Ginger's friend. I met him through Ginger. Um, and he's just, you know, you just want to be around those people because they are spiritually expanded. They there's just a resilience, a good, vi- a good vibration. Yeah. yeah there, there's like a light that always just kind of shines. I can't yeah. explain it. There's a light exactly. and a smile that, I mean, the smiles, Africa is full of, it's full of, all kinds of other drama and that's not what we're talking about, but there's this through it all, there's this resilient smile that happens and, and the music is phenomenal. And, and when Ginger moved there, I was like, that he belongs, he'll get it because there's a freedom and there's something very like freeing, uh, like he's calling you with his drumming, but very freeing, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I don't know. It's it's just magic that you have him on this recording. You know, it's it's yeah. got to be one of his last recordings. Um, it is. It, I believe it is his final recording yeah. sessions. He came in for two days uh, to Abbey Road. Um, but you know, you touched on something that the the calling that African drumming. I suppose that's at the heart of it. It was actually about communicating something mm-hmm. and you, so you can actually play a rhythm that would have a message that would actually it's a language you know and mm-hmm. um and i think all the great drummers in the western sense understand that i mean i know dennis chambers a little bit he's just an incredible drummer um and he talks about playing with melodies you know he's playing melodies and he's developing mm-hmm. those melodies and i think you can hear that with ginger too it's just it's orchestrated. It's complete within itself. It's not. And that's something that's really important to understand about Cream and what makes that band so unique. They weren't just, oh, okay, the bass player's playing the root note of the chord and, and he's standing a bit behind the guitarist and the guitarist is the most important guy and the drummer's like going, gum, gum, kak, gum, 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 kak. You know, it wasn't that. It was, it was real music in the sense that mm. they were all equal. And that's the magic of Cream, the three guys mm. all filling equal spaces in the frequency spectrum, but also in the musical expression of an idea. It wasn't, one person was not less than the other. And mm. I think that's a rarity if that's ever happened before since in popular music. I'm I think, sure. I honestly think you you hit on something too with about the drumming, about a calling and it, it being part of the melody, like what Ginger was doing. I actually think when you listen to cream you listen like nobody thinks of drums as a melody and you do like the, how do you remember a song and play it with without having that emotion without some kind of melody in your head right and the same oh. thing you know on bass the bass is still doing the melody and when you listen to it all put together and then the vocals holy cow right um it just 
it it is like they were I know because it's like oh the bass is put and the bass the foundation the bass and the drum right but I think everybody was playing a melody and that sounds weird to say but I think everybody was yeah playing I mean a of melody. course of course it, different instruments everybody is but yeah yeah different instruments do play a different role um because of the frequency you know a heavier lower a lower frequency is going to move less quickly than a higher frequency mm-hmm. it's just the nature of sound because the actual movement of the sound in space mm-hmm. transferring to a listener is at the frequency moves slower i mean so so that you take that into account but aside from that you are you're playing melodies and i think my father's background in as a classical musician and as a jazz musician contributed to that because he understood mm. that you don't have, you don't have, we tend to rigidify our concepts of what music mm-hmm. is supposed to be, but it's so wide open. Um, and there are so many possibilities. You know, people tend to say, Oh, it's all been done before, but I think it's none of it's been done yet. We're just at the beginning of it. There's just so much to explore if we just get over ourselves and, you know, part of that is, I suppose we could blame radio a little bit, um, and corporate outlooks oh, and sales. <laughs> and, you know. But I mean, also we're very, we're, we're the human races, like children, you know, we're like toddlers, barely out of nappies, as we call them. Uh, diapers, diapers everyone. Yes. Diapers. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, we, we've got, we're spiritually a little stunted. We've kind of, we've got a lot of growing to do, but it's not growing outwards. It's growing back. It's coming back to our true selves, you know, and rediscovering mm-hmm. innocence and playfulness and openness, um, as a, as a community, as a culture, as a, as humanity, you know, and, and just putting all these kind of ridiculously, uh, superficial divisions to one side, which are just causing us problems all the time. You know, we don't, we're, a, yeah. we're, it's one race. It's the human race. It's not, there's, it doesn't, there's no, there's one religion, you know, it's the physiology and its experience of divinity yeah. within us, you know, and all religions are saying the same thing, but, but they get caught up in this kind of superficial verbalization of something or scripture or whatever. I'm not putting any tradition down. I'm saying that we should respect all of it and stop shouting at each other and killing each other. And, and it's the same. And with- that's why you need music that's why you need music and this rigidness is that and i think going back to like when you go to cream you go back to these you know the the roots of it it makes you remember what dirt feels like versus plastic right and there's this beauty of it and the fact is like with your dad being having that jazz background i think that's where some of the levitation i always talk about levitation in music you got to go up and there's a psychedelic, I mean, they're known for the psychedelic vibe of it. Yet at the same time, Ginger's going, oh, yeah, we're marching for war at the same time. And then I'll let you go. You know, he's like, I'm going to hold you captive and then I'm going to free you. And then you can, you know, levitate. And I think it, it they kind of defied like, oh, you must do one and two and this and that. You know, uh, I think your dad brought in. I mean, they all did in, in every single way of who they were and in, in their work, but there was this freedom to what they did that said, you know, we, we can have this, you know, we can tell the tales of Ulysses in this way, you know, it's, it, it was, you listen to the songs they are all different with the blues, jazz, a little bit of psychedelic, well, a lot of psychedelia in there, you know, it's got a little bit of everything and it, they, yeah. they well, basically I mean, let us, we can do what you know, we want. 
Yeah, I mean, we do, you know, we need conformity and, and we and we need novelty. And those two things go hand in hand. But if we only have conformity, then we, we're not going anywhere. Oh, we only have novelty. It's just um, complete, uh, you know, anarchy and not the best sense of that term, you know. So I think mm. we need a balance of elements. We need to come back to things, you know. And it, in classical music, when we understand that process we do we we make a statement and then we we develop that statement and then we might come back to that statement again mm-hmm. but we've been on a journey and that journey mm-hmm. is where the enlightenment is that journey is where the the growth and maybe just on, on an abstract level it doesn't have to be the lyric the actual words conceptually taking somewhere it can be just a, an emotion or a sense of movement moving somewhere but if those things become blocked in and arbitrary you know as in so much music and there's brilliant music out there and i love a great britney spears song as much as i like stravinsky or what you know everything has its value but but there's something about as you say music is the great teacher it's this and it's the thing that holds us it's the thing that unifies us all we can all heartbeat yeah we relate to the rhythm we relate to Mm -hmm. And levitation is a lovely word to use, you know, the, the way that it can raise the vibration. And we experience that in a, as performers, we experience that. That's the, that's what we hope for when we're performing on stage. Okay. I've, I feel like there's this magic in the atmosphere, but in the audience, it's the same thing. It's a shared experience. It isn't mm-hmm. an us or them thing. It's let's share this levitation. Let's share this transcendent. Le- levitation. I learned yeah. that from a drummer, uh, Willie Kellogg. He was a drummer I used to play with out in San Diego, of all places. You were talking about San oh, cool. Diego. And uh, he used to play with Flying Breeder Brothers, Moby Grape, all those so you guys. You must know and, the belly up, right? Uh, yeah, the belly up. Time. I saw John Mayall there. Yeah. Speaking oh, wow. of cream and everything. Yeah. I saw mm-hmm. him the last time I was there. was uh, I saw John Mayall. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've performed there, right? Yes. A couple of times a long time ago. I'd like to go back there. It's a nice, is it, if it's still there. It is. It is. Um, I just nice interviewed someone who is about to perform there. Uh, who was it? Ah, anyway, someone really good. Cause I remember I going, I want to go. And, um, it, it is, I think one of the best venues in Southern California, personally, just yeah. my own vibe. So, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm going to be, I've got my own record coming out next year. So yeah, we got to talk about that. Work. I'm planning to do some touring far and wide. Oh, good. So maybe I'll get to SoCal. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, with Heavenly Cream, by the way, that's a, the perfect title for it, right? As yes. with all of your background, I know that you also worked on an album with Pete and that'll be coming out soon as well, right? In 2024. Yes, that's his final, uh, Pete's final solo record. That's called The Shadow Club. And mm. that one has, um, Eric Clapton guesting on the title track which is really, really gorgeous. Mm. What, what Eric did. Uh, he did, he didn't do, he's not on this record. Um, which kind of makes sense. I imagine he probably didn't want to cover himself <laughs> in that sense, but yeah, yeah. Um, but you got Joe Bonamassa. You got Joe. We got Joe. We got Bernie. I mean, Marston, yeah, some great people. So um, that's not a problem. But but yes, uh, Pete's record, uh, the Shadow Club, that's coming out on another label next year, and it's just great because we got the chance to Pete's health. You know, he was really hanging on, really hanging on, and he was hopeful. And then I think that you know it got to that point 
where it does for many people where the doctors say, well, there's not much more we can do for you. Um, And he kind of went quite quickly after that, but he's, he was a trooper and an amazing guy. And um, we're all going to miss him terribly. You know, he was in my life, my whole life before, before I was even conceived he was in my life <laughs> he was and he sang <laughs> to you in your mommy's belly yeah you know yes. but did, it wasn't this his idea this this album yes totally his idea yeah he oh. was talking to the record label about another project and they sort of collectively came up with this idea about making um an acoustic tribute to cream and also shooting a, a documentary to go along awesome. with it Oh, I, I, now the documentary, we're going to have to watch out for that. But yeah. I, I wanted to ask you as a musician, because, I mean, you do everything. And um, and everyone in England, uh, you know, Malcolm's got some shows coming up, so you got to keep up with him on his site. Everything is in the show notes. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, for you as a musician, working on this album with all these just amazing artists, and um, just did something change for you? Did you grow from this experience of doing this album and then, also kind of thinking about your dad's work and, you know, all of that. Whoa. Um, yeah. I mean, I think. A little heavy. Just mm-hmm. 10 questions in no, one. No, it's, no, it's, <laughs> it's a brilliant question, but it's just hard to know how to, how do I deal with that question? No, I think it's, um, I'm always growing, you know, I think I'm you always to, growing yeah. all the, all the time, but also I think a lot of that growth is about discovering the stillness within where all the creativity comes from. And, um, you know, in terms of my father, yeah, I mean, it was just a great privilege to be involved in this project with all these great people. Obviously, I'd worked with quite a few of them before um, in different uh, different ways. Um, but yes, it was very special. Um, but I, you know, just getting inside that music, I mean, my my mum co-wrote a couple of songs with Cream, my mum Janet. So we did a version of Sweet Wine with Ginger. Uh, yeah. which she wrote co-wrote with Ginger. I, I didn't um, know she wrote that that is one of no. my favorites so her, wow. her her um maiden name is Godfrey so she she's called Janet Godfrey okay and she uh has written lyrics and uh so yes ka-ching come on buy the record so my mom gets the money <laughs> <laughs> but um no it's just special because she she's very humble she doesn't go out there sort of claiming to be anybody but she just was in she was just around them and she wrote a couple of songs. She wrote Sleepy Time Time with my dad and Sweet Wine with Ginger. And, um, and I think she has a real, real talent for, for lyrics, you know? Uh, so it was really nice. Things like that make me feel mm. good. You know, yeah. these, uh, it's all the, sort of the, the tapestry of, uh, the background of what I grew up around and what my life is. But it's just, yeah, it is what my life is. I mean, it's a strange thing that, isn't it? Whatever we have, we have. Um, and I guess some people hold on to it. Some people can be quite arrogant about it. Um, but it's just, you know, my dad was complicated. You know, he was at once, he was a, a rock star who demanded to be treated that way. But then he was also an incredibly humble musician that didn't want to be treated that way. He wanted mm-hmm. to be completely inside the process of creating art. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were kind of different uh, things pulling him. But, it, ah, but it's so hard because it's the in and out. Like um, that's what we always talk about is doing magazine. And, and we, we're on the road full time with our magazines and podcasts. And Amazing. you're either out front, like in the audience and we've done band work and stuff, or 
you're out in that creative process where just leave me the hell alone. I'm in that yeah. bubble of creativity. And then all you have to like change light bulbs each time almost between places and to be in between is really difficult. It's difficult to go do a show and then come home and do computer work or something or, Oof. you know, accounting. You can't. Yes. That, that, the energy doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Well, so, as, as Monty Python said, the chartered accountant oh. as well, I, I wanted to be a lion tamer. <laughs> I exactly. Know, so. <laughs> the hey, sketch, but... hey, the Holy Grail's coming back out again. Yay. That... Oh, cool. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and especially more and more these days in terms of being a modern artist, you know, a contemporary artist, we, we're confronted with that thing. You know, we have to, apparently we have to be able to do everything. We have to be a, a publicist. We have to, um, mm-hmm. self-finance everything. We, you know, we have to be able to play and record, engineer, mix, master, um, promote while still having time to develop as an artist, to have time to write, to have something to say that's not just generic, to have life experienced so that we know what we're trying to say, you know, to yeah. develop to the point where we're able, we have the, the uh, facility to say something, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, and um, you know, that's part of the problem is that every, not everybody, but there's a lot of stuff that just ends up being generic to fill the gap, mm-hmm. fill the space. You know, sometimes I think people release too much music and they should perhaps take a step back and find, have more life experience. So they're actually saying something instead of it just Mm. being a repetition of what's already gone before. But I mean, that's an arrogant thing to say because I can only talk about myself and my own process. Um, And I'm sure that changes over time, you know. Uh, sometimes you have a lot to say and other times it's gestation and you have to kind of go and do other things in order to mm-hmm. refresh your sense of uh, what's actually going on. You got to get material and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, live, you know, and, and sometimes it's like up and down and emotional and, you know, whatever's going on in the world um, with your dad. It's, it's also going to be interesting too having that. Okay. Here's my dad here me doing music too and everybody we've done some interviews with you know the the child stars you know and and it's like and I hate that term god that sucks that's a terrible (laughs) term but it's like yeah I mean it's in your blood I mean you know publishing has been in my blood for years and music and yet it's different when it's on a big scale of everyone knows who your dad is and then it's like I'm going to do mine but I want to be me but I want to also tribute my dad like isn't that a kind of a weird road to travel on yeah, it's a delicate balance. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I think so far in my career, there's been a kind of um, expectation that I should do my dad's music because it's easier to sell it. Um, and I have, I've embraced that up to a point. But I think this next phase of my life is where I, I want to get my own identity out on a much bigger level. With and opera. You know, I just wanted Opera. to bring it up. I've been dying to go into that. I just wanted to, I couldn't wait. I wanted to, I'm like, you're doing something completely different, you know? So yeah. I mean, I want to, you know, I've got this record that I'm working on that'll be out next year, Fake Humans and Real Dolls, which is a, a kind of, it's a rock record or alternative rock. I don't really like to call it something, but it's a guitar based record. It's quite heavy uh, in places, quite dynamic, but sort of quite a heavy sound. Um, but I also, I'm writing a jazz record that I want to record next year with some great musicians and I'm writing opera as well. So yeah, I don't know. I just have always pursued all these different things and, but they haven't quite come together for me yet. So I think this next phase is 
how do I figure out how to get all of this stuff out so that, it, you know, and see if if it's valid? Because I think it is. But it's just a funny game, isn't it? I mean, I think people from outside the business just uh, who are receiving stuff, they don't necessarily understand that what that process is. You know, how how do you get into the marketplace? How do people get to hear or see what you're doing? And, um, you know, it's breaking the fourth wall a bit to talk about it. But in that sense, it it's we're just oversaturated with stuff. There's stuff everywhere. And now we've got AI creating content. So we won't even oh, know. God. You know, I mean, we won't even know what is being created by humans or not. And then the people that are controlling the AI will argue that AI is just an extension of being human, which, of course, it is. But to what degree do we go? One day we're going to have here's that. the human stream and here's the AI stream. Which one do you want to listen to? It's going to be yeah. a choice. God, that's going to be so freaky weird. If they give us that choice, right? Yeah, well, or if we even will be able to tell the difference or if we, if it even becomes relevant anymore because the, what, how all of these things are impacting human behavior. That's Mm -hmm. the interesting thing. Do, do people have the patience to listen to a whole record from beginning to end with 12 or 15 songs on it? I take them on a journey. (laughs) Right. But, but a lot of people, you know, uh, switch on their phone and, and just scroll. Oh my God. Oh, I really I like that. Those 12 seconds are cool. Oh, I'll go back to that later. Yeah. Oh, who's that artist? Oh, yeah. I might have heard of her. Oh, no. Okay. Next. You know, and it's. Yeah. Just- so that's what we tell everybody. It takes like 10 to 15 times for anyone to really even start to react to something because they're so busy. I mean, they used to say that about magazines and going back to that old world that we've had, it would say like an advertiser, it's going to take 10 to 15 times before someone reacts to your ad. Well, now I think it's actually worse because of the click, yes. click, 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 click. You have to keep re-featuring until people go, oh, I think I've seen something about this, which could work for you, because they could go, oh, I've seen it, screw it. (laughs) But it's also just the habituation of, uh, of, you know, particular sonic material or particular visual material. And once humans become habituated, when they see, see something that's novel or different or fragile or tender or whatever, they just kind of, they won't be able to handle it. They won't even understand mm-hmm. it because the emotional content shifts and changes. It's a bit mm-hmm. like auto-tune, which is a very useful thing up to a point. But then but the, the thing of actually bending a note in the voice or a, an instrument, the actual, you know, perfect tuning, not, you know, yeah, it's not meant to be in tune. You know, it's meant to move. The tuning is meant to move and the rhythm is meant, you know, we're not meant to make music that's purely metronomic and on a grid. We're meant to things speed There's up. There's no speed. levitation that way. There is no it's levitation that way. It's all right? about levitation. It yeah. is. It is. It but is. I think you're really right about this. I mean, it's it's like you've got to have that feeling and that soul. And I think what's important that you guys are doing this documentary that goes with the album because it's like, yeah, the humans are doing it. You know, move over. Yes. We're here. And that, you know, it's it, that's an important thing. Do you see um, doing more of that with your work, too, in the future or taking stage like with operas? And, you know, that's the importance. Maybe through all of this performance art will actually become a bigger deal. Like maybe that's the positive of the AI crap, you know? Is- yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, I think it's probably like any technology. It's the intention that's important. We can embrace technology. It's really useful. I mean, us being able to connect and have a conversation that, that raises us up, it will get something out of this and hopefully other people will too. And 
and that's and we're using technology to do that it's great you yeah. know i didn't i didn't like uh get in my wooden boat and sort of sail across the atlantic ocean yeah you didn't have to row row like, across to Asheville, north carolina today yeah. you know yeah like uh you know i'll send this I'm, better I'm, be a good interview like the carrier pigeon is going to send the message. Yeah, you'll see yeah. Malcolm in four months' time. He's on his way. You know, I mean, it, it's like so technology. Oh, my tea got cold now. <laughs> oh no! Well, that's it's why, been four yeah, months. Oh, exactly. Yeah. My water's all right. still tepid. Um, <laughs> yeah, refresh it, please. But, but I mean, it's just you know. So I don't think it's the technology that we should be blaming. I think it's the human mm. intention behind it. Is it? Is it a positive intention or is it a negative intention? Is it a switched on awakened intention or is it uh, a selfish lower vibrational intention? You know, there's no point in, in here's something that means you don't have to use your brain anymore. You know, yeah. uh, that's not good, but here's something that, that helps mm. to automate something that was actually tedious and unnecessary and got in the way um and then maybe that's useful because it frees you up to just be more in the creative process so i think it's a delicate balance moving forward because obviously technology is not going away and it's just how we use it it's it's how we use it do we use it to compromise the creative act or do we use it to support the creative act and um yeah. you know the, i i guess you know if you spend decades practicing an instrument you're going to improve um, technically in terms of being able to express something. But but there are plenty of people that are in genius level of technical ability that can't improvise or... Have or, no soul. Yeah, or, or, you, or there's, there's something missing in the yeah. expression because they don't, they're not connected to the creative part of themselves. You can't mimic that. And it's mm. and it's not a technical thing. You, all the technical stuff in the world doesn't make great art. Although a great artist with technical ability that suddenly becomes something even sometimes greater but you know what is technical ability i don't know well um, you know what oh yeah because you can do this at this time or like speed you know play a guitar you know and but does it have the soul in it anymore yeah you know? and I, but also we've just become mm. you know everything becomes predictable and i think that that's what i'm always perhaps that's what i'm always searching for within myself to not be predictable to myself mm. Um, but that's, you know, in all humility, because, you know, it's, it's, um, not always, we don't always connect with that part. And so we have to be uh, pretty strong about editing ourselves and being strong about saying, okay, I'm going to put that to one side. I'm going to try something else or I'm going to try again. Or, you know, I think it's all very subjective but we're living in an objective world we're completely subjective living but art art is supposed to to defy that right art is supposed to push those boundaries art is the one that art is the what's telling the truth of the times i remember when and, ipads yeah. first started coming out right and seeing a performance and i got completely pissed off i mean and then and now i'm like a little bit better about it because I get it and, and, you know, I've done music and, and performed and everything. But I was always of the belief that you better know what you're doing up there. Like I never had lyrics up there unless I was trying out material in a coffee shop or something. And people, you could sit with your guitar and go, ding, ding, ding. I'm trying this out and get away with it. And it was a rehearsal for me. Like that was, you know, and it wasn't a big gig. 
But you go to a, a performance and, okay, with classical music, that's a whole other thing. And, and like intense, that's, but I would see bands glued to their iPads <laughs> for the lyrics and I absolutely lost it. I was just like, I know if singing, getting up on stage, if I screwed up the lyrics, because the only way I would remember lyrics is the story. And mm-hmm. to me, if I screwed up the lyrics, it became this like, all right, you better get it out now. You better figure it out. Like, you better get that story. And sometimes I'd create a whole other verse just on stage, just like a whole new thing. So, like, technology Amazing, yeah. became this thing where I know they have, like, teleprompters and all this stuff. Fine. If you're a musician and you had like your set list on a piece of paper on the floor or even your lyrics here and there, it was fine. Like some people would write stuff on their hands, but then here come the iPads. So you go see a performance and the band is their heads are in their iPads and the music sucked because there was no life. There was no energy where you technically correct almost, but you couldn't really see your iPad at that time. So what was the point? <laughs> yeah. so I'm sorry. I've been wanting to rant about that for a very no, long time. No, but it's a really it's a really good point. But I guess there could be, depending on the situation. There's times when you need it. I get well, it. No, but, but also there could be reasons like economic reasons. Like, you know, it's if there's enough time to rehearse something, then you're absolutely right. There's, there can yeah. be a, fl- a fluid show. You don't need a set list because you know what comes after the next thing and yeah next the set thing. list is fine but i mean but, I'm but a lot of the time every song like come yeah, on. yeah but a lot of the time you know bands they throw something together at the last minute and then yeah, they that makes learn sense. it as they go along and then maybe by yeah. the 10th show they don't need or 20th show or whatever you know it's just it depends on the thing i mean ideally you spend enough time where you create an amazing show and just like the theater you know you don't to be or not to be that is click click the button to the next page scroll scroll that is the no i mean you know obviously you have to have learned a script to be a a great actor on stage and i think it should be the same with music but if you're jumping from one thing to the next and you know and that's why that's why notation was invented in classical music so that people could uh read something and then the next day do something completely different the next day and and maybe even never have played it before which is can be really interesting too where you just sit down and actually play something um from the page but i i yeah it just depends on but what i'm i'm okay with the being devil's advocate no 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 it's cool because it was a rant i said it the first time i saw it but when a whole band's head is in it that was yes. insane to me well i mean you don't want it to me yeah to the depth paper, of actually paper if you have paper in front of you, for some reason, I'm fine with it. I'm okay. You can have paper. Because for somehow, there's <laughs> something natural about it. I don't know what it is. It's just a weird thing. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, what is this? A band with their heads down and not connecting. Well, we, no we, connectivity. We had whole, yeah. When I was a kid, we had this whole movement of called shoegazers, right? I mean, you must have heard that term. It's like the old, like yep. uh, sort of indie rock where they were. They were all just down, you know, their yeah. head, yep. their eyes and gazing at their shoes and it was was the beginning of grunge like yeah beginning of grunge yeah i'm sure i have to try and remember some of the names of the bands from the uk that well well when that was in south africa we we called it it was um a termite music because (laughs) when the dancing the dancers would also be like and their head their their hands up like little wings twirling around but their heads (laughs) down and they'd bump into each other i don't know what they were high on but they were and we would call it uh, termite music (laughs) 
<laughs> but anyway, no, you know, but it's, yeah, we have digressed from cream, haven't we? <laughs> Oh, that's okay. It's... Cream to termites, but but I think, but that's the thing. It's like a wake up call to these songs that broke some barriers of music, and that was such an interesting time frame. Going back to that of blues and the British invasion, too. I mean, you've got to think about that too, and and then like what was going on, and and then hey, we can go to different countries. I want to re- people to remember that, and now most Americans are going to Europe. Most of what, what Americans for uh, musicians are going from here to England to, you know, Holland to, you know, they're going to Belgium. I mean, that's a whole other thing. You know, it used to be the British invasion coming here and now it's swapped over. What is that? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, I think we, the British stole, took, creatively borrowed uh, American (laughs) American culture, you know, in the 50s and the 60s. I mean, you know, talk to uh john paul uh george and ringo early on and they would say oh yeah little richard man chuck berry yeah 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 we want to wear leathers like uh james dean you know or whatever it is like just with fashion and music and and black culture um for the kind of white teenagers um because it was forbidden going even further back mm-hmm. you know all of those things and then suddenly could go back to the beat generation 10 years previous to that um so it was kind of radical in that sense so we stole all of that and you know cream for example they took you know uh willie dixon spoonful or or uh you know albert king or whoever that mm-hmm. they loved and especially eric at the time uh was absolutely a student of the blues so he understood all of that he would have known all those records and all of those artists and and you know, my dad, the jazz thing that my dad had and, and Ginger had, uh, this kind of knowledge of jazz music as well as, the, and then discovered the blues as well. So, and also like things like, you know, uh, Motown and James Jameson and all of those kinds of sounds that were around. And the that. singing, the singing did this higher end part of it where you had this really heavy bass and drums, right? And yeah. the singing kind of floated above and grabbed everything and swirled yeah. it. I think that's part of that levitation was the way the voice just kind yeah. of here, we're going to well, shift my that. Dad, my dad certainly discovered his voice, and you know, over time, and it was just an amazing thing. I mean, I'm still doing that all the time. It's a daily uh, exploration for me. I think that's the most incredible journey as a musician. If you are a vocalist, and I think all musicians mm-hmm. should be vocalists um, mm-hmm. to whatever degree in the same way that you know, uh, an Indian Carnatic musician would learn in a certain way, you know, there are fundamentals or, you know, in the Western classical tradition, we would all have piano lessons, whether we were virtuoso class uh, concert pianists or not. It was a fundamental. Just like A, B, C, D, E, F, you know. It's the language. Yeah. It's the, it's the building blocks of everything. And, um, so yeah, the voice, because there's, we now understand so much more about how the voice works. But I'm not sure, you know, yes, you can talk about bel canto, the going back centuries, the understanding of the physiology, the, the physiology of how a voice works, because you can, you know, you can shout, but you can also place okay. and use um, circular resonance, too. resonance, breath, relaxation is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's an, it's a, 
it's a teacher learning to use the voice correctly in the sense of how to actually make a sound that as you say levitates it's not you're not you're, <laughs> this it's is true. the levitation this is the levitation but you're not interview. pushing the the voice is not going that out that way the voice is mm-hmm. it's resonating it's swirling in, yes it's here it's it's i think that's part of the psychedelic but then the drum like no matter how you look at it they were so cohesive and it mm. that that was it i think it was so cohesive and melodic but also took you to places you wouldn't have expected and yeah there was some blues in there but the voice would come in and go oh and i mean even the pitch that sound that is like a you have to you know like for me i'm a very like you know alto blues deep but to go to that level i can do it but i'm like i have to now push that and really think is that wow that's pretty amazing yeah, yeah, and some people have that naturally, and I think some people just have to develop it over time. Everyone can develop yeah. their, their voice, you know. But I think again, it's also uh there is elements, you know, inhibition, cultural inhibition, but we could get quite deep with all of this stuff. But you know, we we have a a particular way that we contract ourselves emotion, you know, psychologically and emotionally in the West. I'm gonna generalize here, of course, but you know, we tend to be in a kind of fight or flight response constantly mm-hmm. because of stress. And I think that that can inhibit um, the awareness, the freedom, the liberation that's, that tr- truly great singing requires. Now, obviously, if I take enough drugs, maybe I'll just break no, through. But now, okay, but, but now let's I'm go back to Africa. Let's go back to Africa. Drug, but that's what some people do to, to do that. Yeah, but Africa, now if you listen to Africa singing, like in African mm-hmm. singing, like especially the women and the men too are amazing. And, yeah. and Native American music and, and Indian, I mean, Indian singing and uh, Mongolian throat singing. I mean, that, that is insane yeah. to me. I'm so, the uh, Tuvan uh, throat singers. Yes. But when you, there's this freeing aspect and that's going, now they know about, you know, fight or flight they know about survival living on survival but there's music is part of their lifestyle and part of their communication and it's connected with nature so because they're so connected to nature i think they understand about those calls that go up and out and in singing there's there's calls there's um it i mean it i mean there's calls to different people for different things right and it's like what we were talking about ginger with his drums he's like i'm calling you Okay, yeah. now that I got you, okay, now we're going to swirl and then I'm going to push you out and then I'm bringing you back home, you know, and, and it's the same thing with vocals and, and in African drumming, vocals, anything that they're doing, it's it goes along with nature. And I think that in Western society, as we remove ourselves from nature, we're limiting ourselves in what we can do creatively with our own voice, with our instruments um, and basically in life in general. Really? Yeah, I mean, we 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 have become very mechanistic in our thinking, and we're removed from. You know, I practice uh, transcendental meditation, so ah, oh, sweet. Uh, so I actually, and you know, it's every every time I do it, it's a new journey, obviously. But but generally speaking, we effortlessly sink the the thinking to the source of thought, mm. which is the quantum field, which we have discovered in science. So. So that deepest part of ourself is before anything that's been created or manifested. So, and that's the pure potential of everything. Any, anything that's possible is there vibrating in this unmanifest form. 
And we can experience that at the root of the self. It's called pure awareness. That's one way of calling it, but it's the same as the quantum field. So, so in the West, we are beginning to realize, oh, we can actually, we, God is scientifically verifiable subjectively in consciousness. And then there's that realization that all there is is consciousness. Consciousness, everything arises in consciousness, including the idea of an individual mm-hmm. of, of three dimensional space, of having to do something of other people, of objects, of time, all of that's arising in pure awareness. So once that's realized, there can be a letting go. It's like a death of the ego in a way, but it doesn't stop, you know, it doesn't stop us acting and being. It just makes it lighter. We're not having to add layers of I'm me and I've got to prove myself and I've got to be thing and i think that's what you're saying maybe some of those cultures are they're not so caught up in having to maintain this linearity or and sense of self and proving that we are something it's it's less of that and more just spontaneous and you know the fight or flight response for example is important it's essential because if if something's yeah. coming to kill us we've got to run away or get out the but way we don't have to oh, live in it exactly. but, that, but we've become very um cosmetic you know and yeah and there's, well we're and, just and disconnected color, we're not yeah, connected put, to that part of ourselves so yeah you, and the meditation i think is really fascinating that you do that so many musicians do and artists and and um it's we've done interviews on it and and i'm going to, i hope i don't get his i i know it was dr greenbaum and he wrote a book super brain or super mind i mean this was about 10 years yeah. ago i think we did this interview and it's, it's fascinating because and I have the book in my storage unit. I told you we travel full time, but I have this book <laughs> because I thought it was it, mind breaking because it is scientifically proven fact. And they looked at, you know, cause it took time to do all these tests over years to be able to verify people's brains over time. And they found the, the, the brain waves and brain structure. You do become a super brain through transcendental meditation and all meditation is good. But there is a difference between meditation and is different. TM is unique, in, uh, but it's not unique um, in its various cultures will express it differently. But yeah. what, what has to happen is is touching that ground state of being. And each is different it, for each person, right? Well, it's the same. It's the being with a big B or the self with a big S is all there is. And it's like uh, Maharishi who brought this mm-hmm. knowledge to the West, although his teacher, uh, who is called Guru Dev, he was a Shankaracharya of Jyoti and Nat, Nat uh, which is, um, Matt, which is, um, the north part of India, uh, one of the seats of learning, uh, initially formed by a guy called Adi Shankara. So it's all based on the Vedic Vedanta mm-hmm. knowledge, non-duality, but but he would, Maharishi would describe it as, um, waves on the ocean. So you've got an ocean. It's all one, one yeah, right. piece of water, but little waves are coming up like that. And they're individual waves, but that, but at the root of it, it's, it's one. one thing. And so, you know, what that's when, once we start acclimatizing to that deepest part of ourselves, it, we're going beyond the hierarchy of thought. We're going to the source of thought. Then we're transcending the source mm. of thought. And so levitation. Levitation. <laughs> music can do that for us. And, you know, that's, that's also a, a way of accessing it, but this is a more systematic way. 
it's effortless and i don't think it's owned by any culture or religious thing i mean you can mm-hmm. christians called it the cloud of unknowing in in the in the middle ages there were uh, christian mystics that described the same thing uh, it's described in poetry i'm sure every the whirling dervishes or whoever it is that it's accessing that part of the self which is the intelligence pure. it's pure intelligence it's pure wakefulness and um yes i mean scientifically we could talk about seven s- stages of consciousness and that they are completely separate from each other in the sense that the reality that we experience for instance if you're in the dream state you can have this dream and all these crazy things happen you're flying through the air and yay and i like those every things. every person that you've ever mm. met kind of you're having you know comes into your all your ex-girlfriends or whatever you know they're, <laughs> wait a minute why are you here yeah. <laughs> but you don't no. same like um so you know <laughs> i don't Been know a few years hasn't it? No. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but it, but like all of that stuff can appear in consciousness in the dream state but it's not it's completely separate from what we might term the waking state but then cosmic consciousness is when uh, in as described in this system is when um that pure level of awareness starts to become infused with the waking state so you start seeing things completely different and then it continues to grow where you start seeing the divine presence or the intelligence of ma- the physical manifestation of the universe you see it in everything so and then the self the individual self begins to fall away or the realization that there isn't an individual that there is only experience happening to itself and that it can include an individual arising in mm-hmm. a way with with like i like blue and and i like smarty i like m&ms but not Ooh, red i ones. like smarties oh okay. i don't i don't i mean i'm pure vegan no sweeties for me uh, oh but you're like I you're like honey. still have, you have honey. dark chocolate you're allowed to have dark chocolate. i love dark chocolate but yes i mean all, you know all of none of that disappears but but there is an also a within it it's that realization that only one thing is happening it's mm-hmm. not owned by malcolm although it appears to be some uh, malcolm an individual with a sense of physicality of negotiating mm-hmm. a time space continuing having to pay his rent or, or buy food down right. the shop or whatever but it's but all those things are just kind of happening within awareness it's beautiful so it's called liberation because we're liberated from having to hold on Ooh. to ourselves and i think that oh. there, again it's that holding it's that i am a person and i better you know do i look we're not living I, in a cave anymore if i let my breath go will i look fat okay i'm not gonna you know whatever. yeah no 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 exactly you know yeah. um you know that that's the thing and if you want to lose weight go vegan um yes. <laughs> seriously it's true it's I very can, healthy um yes. but i go back to you know this is when it was tra- transcendental meditation it goes back to like you're saying the Vedics and that's what Ayurveda did too. And Ayurveda yeah. again is all about being in that connection with nature. And if yeah. you don't have that universal connection and people will do it through drugs, like you were saying, even with the singing, 
um, people are doing ayahuasca to get off drugs. And I'm going, maybe transcendental <laughs> meditation might be better. I don't know. Um, but I've puking in a bucket doesn't sound like fun to me. I, <laughs> in, in the middle of the jungle, I want my awareness at that point. Thank you. You know, but, but we've got, we've become so caught up in, you know, we live. Maybe in a, it is cool. I'm not going against it. I'm just saying for me, I don't no, want to. I think, I think it seems <laughs> to be at the moment in the way things appear, it seems to be a bit of a rite of passage at certain young age group. People will want to go through that. But, you know, then in the US, I guess uh, pot has become decriminalized in many states. So it's become normalized. And uh, oh, pot, pot, of, I don't care about I think it. Yeah, that's different, maybe. Or it's a bit like alcohol or whatever. I think it has to be a personal choice. But my experience of it is that meditation can open up the channels and open up the the neurophysiology mm-hmm. to allow all it's it, dr- drug experiences the bliss that we get from taking stimulants pales in comparison to the bliss consciousness that can emerge over time when we just start acclimatizing to that level of where bliss is all there is and so we end up being pure bliss we end up being like every movement is joyful every every experience becomes pure joy and there's nothing greater or deeper than that experience because you become the totality of experience you're not just this little narrow thing with a prejudice Mm -hmm. you become one with everything I think, well, one with everything. Yeah, I know. Listen, <laughs> listen. Now we we're going all hippie, man. That's cool. <laughs> we're levitating for sure. But now, you know, with all of this, does it boost your creativity? Because they're like they were saying with the Beatles, okay, they're taking acid and you know all of that to open and expand your mind. And I think it's going to do some. I've never taken acid. I don't know, but I'm not against you know other things. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not not. As long as you don't hurt yourself or hurt somebody and become addicted and and hurt yourself or people or animals or nature just don't no hurt okay no addiction and but no i think hurt. but i think it's and the, that's ju- the thing it's the judgment you know we it's intrinsic in our culture to make value judgments all the time but mm-hmm. in, in uh self-realization it's realized that everything is as it is there it's not because it should be or there's a reason behind e- so even hurt like what i'm saying like hurt, hurt that's hurt, part of it but hurt can be observed from a point of view of non-attachment and then it's more likely to dissipate because we because hurt is perpetuated by the belief in it just and i'm not saying that hurt you know so, mm-hmm. so from a totally extreme point of view somebody that's in their last few days of cancer uh who's dying can still identify with the observational part of the self which liberates them Mm -hmm. from that pain that pain still appears but it doesn't belong to anyone anymore Mm. it becomes just another object in experience and it's a very very extreme version but that's it that's truth the truth is there is a part of us that's untouched by any of the content in experience because it is experience it's Mm. the experiencer itself it's the awareness within which experience happens. And mm. so, and that is the true self. The true right. self is not the guy that goes, I don't like you because you said you called my 
friend, you knocked over my drink in the pub or whatever, you know, it's like <laughs> all of that stuff appears, but, but, but interestingly, and also like, this is quite a Christian concept, which I think about, I don't call myself a Christian, but I think about this concept quite a lot at the moment, which is what we hold in our heart mm-hmm. is directly reflected in our experience. So if we, if I turn up, right. if I turn up in a situation and I think that person's not going to like me, then there's, even on a phys- physiological You've already level, put something out there. I'm putting it out there and it's not mm-hmm. just a hippie thing. It's like I'm, I'm holding my breath. I'm cautious. My, my musculature is tightening. And that person, even on a subconscious level, because most communication is not verbal mm-hmm. and it's not conscious, they're going to be like, Oh, there's something about that guy. He doesn't, you know, he's a bit tight. There's a tightness around that person. So I'm going to respond by being tight. And then suddenly the not liking mm-hmm. or not being open and responsive is manifest by simply by yeah. my intention. And so with meditation, I don't know what it's like for anyone else because there isn't anyone else. It's yeah, everybody, yeah, every, it's, it's, you know? it is. It's, and at um, the same time, when you're writing, do you feel, and going to that communication, like in performing, it's like how you feel going on stage. Like you have to leave your baggage behind. Like that was, you know, maybe you didn't pay your rent and your landlord's knocking on your door right now and you're going, I'm trying to make the money now, you know, yes. but you're on stage. Give me a week, man. Yeah, give me a week and I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> Screw you. No, but you're on stage. You're performing and you can't leave that. You've got to kind of go. You, you've got to, it's almost like go into different bubbles and be, but also be true and honest. Like if you're having those negative thoughts, you've got to, in your own way, kind of twirl them around because otherwise you're going to have a really crummy performance. Like if, if you know what I mean? If you're like in a town you don't want to perform in and you get there, but then you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be here. And then the audience is going to know if you don't want to be there, no matter what you say or do. They're going oh, to yeah. know. Well, I mean, that's... You have to change we, it. We have to lose... As you said before, you know, if you're staring down at your iPad, you're not going to be able to let go of yourself and to, you know, it's, I guess the, uh, you know, um, one way of expressing it is it's like a Zen state, you know, there is no no separation, but, but I mean, you can also talk about it in the Vedic or the Vedantic way, you know, um, the, the knower, the object of knowing and the process of, knowing are one thing uh it's like a a trio or a um a trinity you know uh, within that experience and there's no separation but at certain levels of consciousness it will seem separate and so yes the greatest performance is when all of that disappears and all that's happening is the performance is happening and there isn't a person doing it there's an observational aspect to it but even more radical than that uh, the best t- the times in my life where I've experienced the most success, whatever that means to me subjectively, is when I've been so joyful that the world responds to that joy by giving me, by fulfilling my desires. And the distance mm. between having a desire and the fulfillment of that desire shortens sometimes to a, just the desire happens, mm. the fulfillment happens. And it's because I get out the way with all my neuroses and hang-ups and insecurities. Suddenly that's like, and it is like the ultimate um, manifestation technique, if you want to call it like that. It's just literally getting in the moment, letting go, and just embrace, just yes, yes, that's yes, That's ultimate yes, creativity, yes. though. 
That is the ultimate in creativity where we allow ourselves to take that extra step, you know, in music and and in writing lyrics or something or writing an article or whatever, you want to really say something and then maybe you have to edit it to make it the the story be better, right? To have more connectivity or make it rhyme, you know, I know we have to do that, but that's part of storytelling. But if you're going to push the envelope on something, if you let your little nasty mind go, no, 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 no one's done it like that. They're not going to like it. Oh, the, you know, the label's not going to like it. Then you wouldn't have cream. You wouldn't have your work. You know, you wouldn't have all these amazing musicians and artists and writers around the world if they didn't push the envelope. And pushing the envelope is good. We learn the rules. Then we know how to break them and distort them in two ways. But we know the groundwork. Yeah, there's these certain things in music we need to learn. Sometimes some people don't. They should just go the way they are. Everybody's a little different, too. Yeah, but I think it can can also frame it as trauma. I mean, you know, we're all, all of us, every appearance of a human being is has the complete potential, infinite potential of creative natural Mm -hmm. law within us. And um, but we are we are um, conditioned, we're habituated throughout our lives from a very well the first six months to two years is probably the most important in terms of forming the personality, forming the belief system, etc. And so we we tend to be traumatized in the truest sense of the word. And then we mm-hmm. stop growing. We stop we lose touch with well, well. as you say, you know, hey, I am can do anything and it's not an arrogance it's a confidence it's the subtle difference or not so subtle difference because like, we stumble over things we think we can run down the street we fall down there we go well i fell down so yeah. i'm never going to run down that street again yeah, but if it's you look at a toddler fall. you look yeah, at a toddler they fall down. over and they smile and they laugh ah, i'm getting up i'm climbing yeah. Up. Yeah, you know, fall over it's again. our teenage oh. years is it our teenage years where we become like this you know i think that's yeah i think secondary um what do you guys call like from the age of I 10 i don't know Ten or eleven, when the the next not primary school, but the next school. I have no clue. Middle school, or I don't know. Um, I I have. And I went to sixteen schools around the world. I have no clue. Oh my goodness! But I went through matric, and I don't think they have matric here. I didn't graduate. I didn't go to school here, so I have no clue. Yeah, we 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 call it secondary school in the UK, and I think that's when you know in primary school it's like yeah, run around and draw some drawings with crayons. Yeah. be free and then by secondary school okay sit there shut up do your don't do as you're told don't chew on crayons didn't you learn that before yes, don't you don't. have multicolored poo that was... exactly exactly but i want multicolored no you're not allowed to have multicolored. i do <laughs> you do well that's because you you have a yeah. rainbow diet and yes that's right <laughs> i'm wearing the wrong clothes today i should be in my hippie gear yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's inside you it's it's radiating it's, it's coming. from within it'll it's come fun. back it'll come back you, once you once you've eaten the crayons you can it'll always be there for you for the rest of your life well good that's a good way to close our conversation rainbow <laughs> poo with crayons but it's just been a delightful bombshell. yes i know on that yeah and it, it did become a bombshell because it's mostly plastic it's, a, oh. it's the fantastic plastic um, but yeah yeah right good oh that's good it's good for all of us right was your dad into meditation um no he wasn't really he struggled with addiction throughout much of his life oh. um, it's very switched on very aware and yeah I mean, we did talk 
quite extensively. He'd read, he'd read like, uh, Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And he did have interest in Eastern traditions, but I think he then got caught up more and more with, with, uh, addiction, you know, um, mm. it's just a product of his culture. We talked about it a lot, actually, mm. over the years. Um, but he also had an, an innate intelligence, but also I just, I've never, I may never figure out how it was with my father because he's sort of anomalous to like I have to go to bed early I get up I do a coffee enema I do, I then do abhyangas no uh, oh, by the way that um, means he has no crayon poo yeah exactly <laughs> then I do like uh you know warm sesame oil massage then I do oh, 30, 30 it, minutes yeah. yeah I do 30 minutes of yoga then I meditate for 20 minutes then I rest then I get on with my day and then I do the same thing in the afternoon so twice mm. a day like a program a routine right. And from that regular routine, everything just completely opens up for me. And it's just astonishing. And I feel like I'm still at the very beginning of that journey of unfolding what my potential is. I mean, forget, you know, creativity and writing operas and all that. Just even as a person, being able to communicate with other people, Mm -hmm. giving love, giving, Mm -hmm. receiving on a human level, all of that stuff is just so beautiful. And I think, so I'm exploring all that. Whereas my dad, it was like a whole different animal, you know, but he still was able to achieve so much. And, mm-hmm. and his creativity was so great. So I don't know whether it was just because of who he was, you know, that's just the way he was built. But it's, but it's about, I think drugs, alcohol, like I love my wine and, you know, there's Mm. things in life that are, you know, not always good for you. But, and I think back into the culture, like when I was growing up, cigarette smoking was only then really starting to become the big no-no, you know? Well, I did that for years. I smoked for years, you know? Yeah. And and it was bad and that made it really cool for us kids, you know? And yeah, no, mom, I'm not smoking. And there's cigarette smoke coming out behind my head with my cigarette behind my back, you know, all of that stuff. But yeah, 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 then, yeah. then you learn, like, and it was actually Ayurveda that helped me get mm. past that. Um, but I think it's all about the same thing. It's almost switching gears. I think drugs and alcohol and, and different addictions come in different things. It could be chocolate cake. It could be anything. It's about switching gears. It's about feeling good. Yes. It is yes. about chasing a high. And meditation and having that crystal clarity that you're talking about, there's a clarity and a joy that comes from that. And and that also happens when people get past the addiction stage in recovery and everything starts yes. to come back when you're truly alive and aware. Mm-hmm. And addiction, drugs and alcohol are like the fake ones, you know. Yeah, so it's, here, not, it's not getting, it's but not it's, getting but it's the higher. Same it's thing in a weird way. It but absolutely you, is, yeah. It's, it's like a sugar high. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's many things to be gained from smoking weed or drinking wine or or, or probably all drugs. You're I never taking my wine away. That's never happening. But right. I could not but drink we might so swap much wine. Them. We might go like swap and give no, you a but listen, when organic I was vegan, one or something. I, oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm all into that. And yeah. um, vegan wines, by the way, yeah, yeah, do that. But. Um, cause I'm allergic to fish and they put fish stuff in, in, no. Well, like they but then put when I was fish vegan, in toma- tomatoes as well, something. You, you, oh, is that why I don't like tomatoes? Huh. But, yeah. um, the vegan thing, that was interesting and you couldn't drink that much wine. So I had to really get healthy because you, you can have one glass of wine. Your body's so clean. 
yes. that you have one glass of wine, you're like, well, maybe I will sit down. Well, yeah. I've been vegan for many years now, and although I do still have honey and occasionally eggs, oh, but yeah. I, no meat or fish or anything like mm-hmm. that, um, and mm-hmm. no dairy as well. And I just oh, that that helps great. your body. Yeah. yeah, that helps your body for sure, for sure. But but as I man, say, my dad, my dad was very different. He it's that lived high, a though. very different kind of life. And yes, I mean in in Ayurveda, you call it, you know sattvic uh tamas rajas you know so if you eat a steak it gives you raja energy which is like a kingly they that's yeah mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. it's a particular kind of gross strength but and tamas obviously means something that's decaying um and and uh and uh sattva is pure and so those but we need all three of those energies they cycle it's the cycle of birth and death. It's the cycle mm-hmm. of life. So we do need all those energies, but, but then there's a balance of all that stuff. So yes, a steak and a good line of cocaine will get you moving in the morning, right? But it's also a gross level of energy compared to meditating and doing pachacama or, or eating vegan or whatever. So yeah, all of that stuff is really interesting. Um, and we've we've really done good on all kinds of <laughs> topics today. I but you know I just wanted to say this in closing. You were talking about ego and how big and small it is. And my mind went to um, like the different deities in Hinduism, and like you'll go to Lakshmi for certain things, and uh, you know all these. You, you, and it was for these different like not embodiment, but like to I need this power this for this reason. If I'm going to war, I'm going to call up this one. You know, so I was thinking that about you know, egoism and when you were talking earlier and thinking, hmm, if we looked at all these little things that we have as human beings, these little things that make us up and and we're a little out of balance with egoism in the world, right? So if you just looked at ego and said, you know, I think it's time for you to go for a nap. Okay, then you realize I need my positive ego right now for a little bit of confidence to go and break that creative barrier or whatever it is. So it's like almost like, lighting a little match and saying, okay, you can come out now, come out. Now you get to come here for a little bit. We're all, you know, family. We're all related. We're all one. So come out and play for a little bit. Now, oh, you've done it. Go go to bed now. I mean, I think ego is essential, you know, in the sense that, you know, we, it's it should be embraced. It can be embraced. I agree. You know, it's not, you know, it's beautiful to have confidence and to, to manifest things, to make things happen. You know, without ego, we can't go and get a, a partner, you know, um, or we can't yeah. get out of bed in the morning because we can't, we feel like it's right. not worth it or something. And, and, you know, life is to be lived. It's not, you know, I, I'm not really a believer in denial of anything, but for whatever reason, my experience is that a spiritual practice like yoga, you know, um, it, allows me to live more fully it's not a mm-hmm. it's not um a denial um and you know marishi for example he spoke of different people he spoke of what he called householders and of course that whole tradition talks about that look you can still become enlightened but live be married and live a full life and enjoy yourself and 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 have desire desire is good you know, desire is a motivator in life. You know, it's great to feel sexy and to be wanted and to want. And it's great to desire the, the fruits of this world, you know, but not to the degree that you're willing to hurt other people 
Right. That's what I was saying about like that's the, the difference. difference. And that's yeah, the that's difference. Not, that's balance. like narcissism where you only see yourself oh. in the sense that you're not allowing other people to coexist with you. And we all have a list of examples of narcissism these days. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Thank God for me. That's a whole other. If- that's a whole yeah. other four hour podcast. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's why we have music because like sometimes turn off the TV, listen to some music, go to your happy place. And I think music <laughs> is part of that. I think music is um, part of that spiritual realm. So like you do TM, you know, um, maybe people smoke weed, drink, whatever. But music is part of that, that everyone can agree on. When you're having a bad day, you better play some music. It'll help switch gears. It's it is a it. It's, it's just all, all gears. whatever you yeah whatever <laughs> you whatever makes it happen. It's it's falling between the gaps of thought. Between mm. the gap of every thought is transcendence. It's called transcendence. It doesn't matter whether it's yeah, I like that from the Vedic tradition or Christianity or Islam or mm-hmm. whatever. Or don't even frame it. You know that's what. Those people in India that practice this tradition, yes, there are all of these things. There's the Gayatri mantra, which is beautiful. And that's to the mother, to the, to the mm-hmm. spirit of the feminine, you know, mm-hmm. or there's, you know, Kamdev, which is like, it makes you very sexy and appealing to other people. If you want to attract somebody, you can do a mantra and it will actually create a certain vibration that makes you. It quiet. is. You know, it is or, because, but that's the calling. It's see, it's yeah. the calling again. We're going right back to that. And but also, like, like you might want to yeah. be attractive to other people because then you get to give in a certain way. That's yeah. just so beautiful. Like to be able to give to somebody, and because it you and that's another selfish egotistical act. Because to give is to receive. To to give makes me feel good about. Okay. This. But music, think about the origins of music wasn't to be sold as albums, right? If you go back to it, it was a form of communication. And if you were doing a specific dance, it was like, you know, hey, I'm trying to get your attention just like birds do dances and mating calls. That's what it was all about. I mean, sex and music is one, really. And and also messaging. Rocking and rolling, baby. Yes, yes. You know, and then and then you've got the that's the levitation. Or you could be the drunk person at the end of the show doing the squat dance that gets right down on the floor and falls down and can't get back up. There's always what there's always that one guy that one squat. You just kind of you feel a bit uncomfortable watching him dance completely out of time. But when everyone else has gone home, he's still there. He's like the most he's still there. Or the person with the tambourine. Never give the tambourine to the audience. Don't ever do it. It's the worst thing. I always rant about this. Or, or the girlfriend. Don't, don't, oh, God, no. No. <laughs> no. Thank you so much for such a fun conversation. You know, we are a big blend for everything because that we, we don't we don't have barriers about what we talk about. So it's been a real pleasure. Everyone, QuartoValleyRecords.com. The album is out November 3rd, again called Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. And also keep up with Malcolm at MalcolmBruceMusic.com. He's got new uh, music coming out next year and also shows, and especially in England, so you want to keep up with them there. And, of course, we're at BigBlendRadio.com. All these links are in show notes. But I've got to give a shout-out to our friends over at The Lion and the Rose Bed and Breakfast in Asheville, North Carolina. There are sponsors of today's show with Lion and Rose. See, I thought that kind of went well, seeing that, you know, Ginger was in Africa. 
And they've been all over Africa, too, uh, the innkeepers. So lion-rose.com for that. And they welcome musicians. So, all right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Really, really nice to meet you and uh, hopefully chat again soon. Absolutely. Keep us posted. I want to hear the opera, too. I want to hear all the new albums. We're all, we're all ready. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. You too.